Welcome to the e-commerce Seal podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm your host, Andrew Derry. So good to have you with me today. And today on the program, I've got Nathan Resnick from Sourceify, a company that helps store owners manage their sourcing and design and development. I'm really collaborating with, with overseas factories to help streamline the process and help them pick the right factories for their design products. And we're talking about China. Nathan has a ton of experience. He he spent time over there in high school in terms of learning, learning the language, getting to know the culture. He travels there you know, half a dozen times or more per year, really understands that country. And we, we talk about some of the misunderstandings between some of the misunderstandings that the Westerners have toward China. We talk about some of the environmental policies that are getting enacted over there, discuss selling products into China. And if you're a luxury brand, if it's feasible to try to export products from the US to China, which I always has thought had potentially been a an interesting area of opportunity. And of course, talk about Chargeify as well. But interesting, interesting perspective on, on China from someone who, who knows it very well. Before we jump in, I want to give a big thank you to our two amazing sponsors. First, to Liquid Web, who's the absolute best place online to host your WooCommerce store if you're serious about its speed, reliability, and performance. A couple of cool things about them is they they have a built-in staging platform for your WooCommerce store. So a few things you can do. You can easily make a copy of your store and stress test it. You can test it with 100 users, 1,000 concurrent users to see how it functions, to make sure it's working properly, and really to, to make sure it's ready for prime time, whether that's Black Friday, a sale you have coming, or just the holiday season. So if you want to learn more about why they can really supercharge your WooCommerce store, you can do that ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. And then secondly, a big thank you to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. If you haven't heard, they released a super cool new feature that you can calculate or they calculate the LTV for your customers in Clavio. They can look backwards, forwards. They can even calculate purchase intervals and churn probabilities. So you can see what the LTV is of customers you know, looking backwards and also estimated LTVs for customers you've just recently acquired. So you can even sync up your highest LTV customers, create a segment for them and create a custom audience in Facebook so you can market to look like audiences, which is a pretty cool feature. So if you're using them and you're not using the LTV feature, make sure you check it out. If you want to get started for free, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. All right, let's go ahead and get into my discussion on China with Nathan. So Nathan, we're going to dive into all of the everything sourcing related, China related, but I have to indulge kind of my inner geek because you you went through your backed by Y Combinator, a leading one of probably the most popular incubator in in Silicon Valley. Can you talk about what it was like going through that process and getting funded by them? Yeah, I mean YC is incredible. You know, for the listeners that don't know Y Combinator, it's basically the most successful investor in the world. They've backed Airbnb, Dropbox, Stripe, you know, a bunch of billion plus dollar startups. And Sourceify went through the winter 2018 batch, just graduated about five months ago. And, you know, really, I think the beauty of going through YC and an accelerator in general is just the network and community around the startup that you now have. So for us, I'll give you an example. You know, every batch is split up into groups. At one of our group meetings, there's this guy I didn't recognize, you know, asking all these incredibly smart questions, went up to him after our meeting and, you know, chatted with him for 15 or so minutes and just learned so much about what we were doing. 
And, you know, after talking to him, my buddy comes up to me. He's like, Nathan, do you know who that was? And I was like, no, who was it? He's like, that's the founder of Gmail. That's, that's Paul Burkhart. That's, you know, PB. That's the guy that's worth over half a billion dollars and has backed and been a part of so many incredible software tools that, you know, hundreds of millions of people use every day now. So, you know, YC is, is really an incredible experience. And I definitely recommend any startup uh, applier, at least check it out. And you're a solo founder, right? And I think it's pretty rare for them to take, usually they like seeing, you know, multiple founders on, on a team. Yeah. I mean, you know, being a solo founder is, is always a challenge. And, you know, with YC, I had two buddies that went through YC before me and they said, Nathan, you know, as a solo founder, that's not technical. There's a very, very low you know, likelihood that you get accepted. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm just going to try and see what happens. And, you know, I ended up getting in and it was incredible experience and still is to this day, you know, just this past Sunday, I was at their alumni demo day where they have, you know, the newest batch pitching their startups to the alumni. And it's uh, just an incredible network. That's cool, man. Well, congrats on getting in. And I mean, you've got your background in China. I think it's, I, I'm guessing it's a huge person part of the reason why they backed you. And you went to high school there, kind of went, did kind of a, a language school in China. You speak fluent Mandarin, correct? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I started in China about 10 years ago and, you know, I really made the decision to start over there in high school. I was studying Mandarin my freshman year of high school. And then when I was 15 years old, decided to move over there and live with a host family, didn't speak English, attend a local Chinese high school. And, you know, the real reason I got that opportunity was my neighbor did the immersion program that I did the year before me called School Year Abroad. And they run uh, immersion programs around the world. And, you know, I had an older sister growing up in Maryland, knew what I was going to do in high school and figured, hey, why not try something new? I was always adventurous and still in to this day and said, let's go to China and see what it's like over there. So really started manufacturing products there at an early age. And it was incredibly eye-opening experience that has, you know, obviously a huge effect on what I do today with Sourceify. Yeah. And you're over there super frequently. You know, you said before we were talking offline, you'd been over there six, six times already this year. How... You know, we've been seeing so much trade trade war rhetoric, like in the U.S. with tariffs, like you know, Trump slaps on tariffs or threatens to slap tariffs, and then uh, you know, China kind of comes back and threatens with their own. How how is this whole thing being viewed on the Chinese side? You know, from from uh, the Chinese perspective, what what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, you know, trade wars are pretty crazy right now. From the China side, it's it's not good either. You know, basically now that every company that you know, their HTS codes are being affected by these high tariffs, they're now having to pay more to import their products. So they're either having to reflect those increased costs on the buyers or on the factories. And when it's reflected on the factories, it means the factories need to have a lower, you know, unit cost. And so it's a lot of pressure on the factories. And then also companies now are definitely looking to produce more and more outside of China. You know, you see a huge shift in production to Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines, you know, all across Southeast Asia. And so it means that now these Chinese factories are having to compete even more so with factories outside of China. And then internally, you know, from their perspective, what the government has been trying to do is actually lower the value of the renminbi. So they're saying, you know, the renminbi right now is at a 13-month low and the dollar's at a, you know, 13-month high compared to the renminbi. So it's making their currency even even, you know, less valuable than it usually is. What are you seeing? One big trend I've, I've noticed from the last year or two, especially this last 18 months, it seems like, is factories in China selling directly via Amazon to, to end merchants or to end customers in the US. They sell, you know, they get the sale on Amazon, they, they, they ship through ePacket. And a lot of times people don't know. Like, is that something the factories you work with, what percentage of them are, 
are you seeing actually do that? And of the ones that aren't, like, is it something that's on pretty much every factory's radar? Like, hey, we can kind of just list directly and cut out a lot of potential middlemen. Is there more friction points than than maybe you would guess for for factories to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say there's definitely more friction points than people assume. I mean, basically, factories are set up to be a B2B company. You know, they're reselling and manufacturing their products for other companies that are then selling those products directly to consumers. And so if a factory wants to then go sell on Amazon, they're having to put cash in inventory. And for them, especially if they don't have a lot of working capital, it's very hard for them to allocate this cash in the inventory. And then on the logistics end, a lot of these factories aren't set up to ship in you know, the B2C model. And so even though they can you know, ship product over to FBA, it still, still means that they're having to carry cash into you know, in the inventory. And so at the end of the day, especially as a factory that's doing well in the B2B world, it really doesn't make much sense for them to go sell directly on Amazon just because now they're competing with their B2B customers. You know, any customer that is producing at a factory and sees them selling directly on Amazon and competing directly, it's not going to you know, make you happy as a e-commerce entrepreneur that's now competing directly with your factory on the same sales channel. Yeah. So who, do you have an idea of, you know, it sounds like uh, reputable factories who have really strong relationships with their, their partners. It's not going to make sense for who, who are all the factories? Is there kind of a picture you can paint for us of what type of factories are the ones that are, because there's definitely a lot of people, a lot of Chinese factories flooding on who are they and what's like, what's their kind of mold or what, what describes them best? Definitely. Definitely. I would say they're smaller scale factories. They're definitely factories that aren't, aren't working with bigger brands and a lot of trading companies, you know, a ton of trading companies. They say, Hey, you know, we've got this direct factory relationship. We know the factory's PL. You know, we know we can increase our margin going direct to consumer via Amazon or Shopify or whatever sales channel it may be. And so that's the route that they'll take as a trading company. But larger factories that are working with more established brands, you know, at the end of the day, number one, there's a huge hurdle to actually brand these products. I mean, I've been in dozens of different factory meetings where, you know, a factory boss will pull a product and it has a Chinese name on it and it's not going to, you know, work in the American market because the branding is isn't right. And so there's actually a lot of hurdles that Chinese factories have to overcome to, you know, sell directly on Amazon. But I would say also for, you know, any Amazon sellers that are listening in, if you're doing your FBA prep at your factory, then you are teaching them how to sell directly on Amazon. Ah, that's a really interesting point. You had tweeted, I was stalking you before we got on this interview. And on your Twitter, you tweeted an article, I think along the lines from Fortune called Americans Don't Know China. And really the gist of it was that Americans largely have ignored China, haven't traveled there, haven't learned the culture in anywhere remotely a symmetrical way that the Chinese have learned and adopted the U.S. culture and language and keep up on current events in the U.S. Do you think that's still true? Do you think it's changing a little bit? And if it's not changing, if that still holds true, do you think that is something that can, is going to be problematic for us in the future in terms of Western entrepreneurs? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's it's definitely true. You know, you see the rise in the ability of Chinese companies to sell into America that a lot of times stems from the amount of people in China that, you know, have been to America that have studied at American universities and that understand our market. And then you look at the other end when American companies go to sell into China, very few have success because they don't really understand the market. And so a lot of this actually stems from, you know, student exchange and students that are coming to American universities from China. You know, there's probably 10 times the amount of students that come from China versus American students that go to China to study. And, you know, it also shows just there on the street in China. When I was first there 10 years ago, you know, you walk the street and people would look at you, they'd you know, point fingers and say, oh, you know, la wai, la wai, you know, very 
just curious and excited that you were a foreigner there. Whereas now, you know, even if you speak good Mandarin, you know, people don't even, you know, raise their eyebrows. It's, it's really just showcases how globalized China has become and how much of an understanding they have on America. What you mentioned Americans don't understand a lot of times they fail to really get traction in China. I'm sure that for a number of reasons, but if you can like pick maybe one or two of the big things that they get wrong, not understanding the culture and the language and the landscape, where do Americans really botch it when they try to make inroads into China? Yeah. I mean, I would say number one, it stems from their actual branding and sales channels. I mean, I know, for example, one of the biggest e-commerce watch companies in the world, Daniel Wellington, you know, they do well over a hundred million dollars in sales a year. And when they entered the China market a few years ago, you know, they really focused on their branding and who they aligned their brand with on the ground floor. And that actually turned into a huge influencer marketing campaign on, you know, WeChat and, and all these other platforms in China. And so it's, you know, when an American seller, you know, that per se, let's say, isn't even doing that well in America, all of a sudden thinks, oh, I'm going to go expand my market and go into China. It's a completely different branding and sales strategy. And there can be so much complications with logistics that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I tell companies to say, look, focus on your home market, get to a point where, you know, you're confident in it and then, you know, move to scale up internationally. Because if you aren't having success in your home market, it's going to be even harder for you to have success uh, internationally. I've always thought, and, and probably with much less evidence-based reason than you'd be able to bring to this thought process. I've always thought that exporting luxury goods from the U.S. to China would be a, a pretty compelling, albeit complex opportunity if you can find the right product. Do you, thoughts on that? Like, do you see any smaller brands you mentioned, you know, just, just a couple seconds ago, like really getting your home market uh, hammered down first, but let's say someone has a premium brand at the U.S. They feel like, you know, they've, they're kind of seeing diminishing returns and they've got it covered in the U.S., do you think that's something that a small brand, let's say in like the mid to seven figures could be able to pull off in China? I mean, they, they could definitely, but they'd have to invest in it. You know, and here's the thing, when you talk about luxury goods selling in China, there's definitely a huge, huge market for luxury goods in China. But the luxury goods that are being sold at volume are all the international brands that, you know, everyone's heard of, like, you know, Gucci or LV or, you know, whatever it may be. And so even if you're a luxury product here in America, if you're still a small brand doing even seven figures in scale, in sales, you know, that's maybe, you know, one or less than 5% of what these big international luxury you know products are doing. And so I think it still stems from your brand and actually, you know, driving brand recognition internationally now. And it's something you're going to have to invest in, especially from like a logistics standpoint, but also just from a marketing standpoint. You know, you see a lot of companies that are having a lot of success through influencer marketing in China. And, you know, I think where the opportunity is for companies in America is actually around, you know, medicine or vitamins. I mean, there is a lot and, you know, a huge amount of fraud and a huge amount of people that are scared of buying, you know, local medicine in China for fear of it, you know, basically being produced the wrong way and, you know, damaging their body. And so a lot of Chinese people buy medicine internationally or buy vitamins from abroad. And so uh, there's a lot of companies now that are selling even cosmetics here in America and now transitioning to sell into China because, you know, that's really a point that these Chinese companies just haven't been able to have a strong grasp on because they don't have that trust in their brand that a lot of American companies have with their products. 
What have you seen on the environmental front? I mean, in the last 10 years, obviously, it's a lot of pollution issues in China with production, all that kind of stuff. But it seems like the last year or two, the government has started cracking down. At least it sounds like they have. Is that actually happening? Like, is the government actually cracking down on factories? Are they having to change? Or is it mostly rhetoric that, that is coming out of the government? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I would say the government is definitely trying to crack down a bit, but at the same time, a lot of it is just, you know, PR. It's, it looks good on the government and, and the people think it's a good move for them. But I'll tell you, you know, pollution is really a problem on the ground floor in China. And really, I think at the end of the day, it stems from, you know, the government crackdowns also are affecting these factory rates. You know, all of these companies now, not only are the labor wages going up in China, but, you know, if they have these environmental crackdowns, it means that these factories now also maybe have to adjust their process, which will increase your price to produce products there. We'd love to learn a little bit more about Sourceify. So you, you know, Sourceify in general helps, helps merchants who are designing a product find a great factory. So let's say, for example, I want to create a backpacking backpack and I've got some designs, some sketches, but I'm not sure who to go to for that to make that for me. You kind of come in, into that process, find out what the person's doing, what their goals are, what they're designing, and hook them up with the ideal factory. Is that right? Yeah. Basically, at Sourcefy, we're the fastest growing B2B manufacturing platform. We help hundreds of companies produce products around the world. So not just in China, but also India, Vietnam, Thailand, the Philippines, you name it. And you know, for us, we typically deal with companies that are doing at least a million in sales. And really, a lot of it, what it stems from is that you know, 90 plus percent of companies in the world right now are using email and Excel to manage production. And so there's so much back and forth. There's very little visibility. And so we go basically create software for factories to better manage production, which enables you as a company to have more insight into what's going on as your production, as your products are being produced. Cool. So can you can you dive into a little bit more when you say, because I know exactly what you mean with Excel and like email, like I went back and forth and in terms of production schedules and like, you know, even designs, things like that. What is the software? How does the software streamline the kind of the communication between, you know, a Western company and their factory in Asia? Yeah, totally. So it stems from number one, like project management. Basically, these companies use a clear timeline so you can understand what's going on step by step through the sampling and manufacturing process. You know, basically, if you're just starting out with us, you would go to our website, just try sourceify.com, submit a product that you want to manufacture that would get sent out to our partner factories in that product category, who would then submit back a price quote. You would see, you know, typically an average of two or so price quotes from our partner factories and then sync up to start sampling and manufacturing the product. And really the beauty is here, we actually don't charge companies up front. We actually make our money from our partner factories where they're best source of business. And so it's, you know, win-win where these factories get to focus on production instead of, you know, going on a big open marketplace or trade shows and having a whole sales team trying to qualify those leads. Yeah. yeah. And on the, on your side is the biggest, I'm guessing you add value both places, but if you had to pick one, do you add more value through the software that allows you to really manage the process well, or through the vetting of the factories that are really well suited for a certain type of production? It's, it's both, you know, I would say it depends what your goals are. I would say if you look at supply chain, you know, from a bird's eye view, you're talking about, you want, you know, improved lead times, you want the best price and you want the best quality. Well, it's very hard to get all three right. And so for us, we really, you know, try to create the best balance and say, look, you know, what's the biggest flaw in your supply chain right now? Is it your supply chain is too long? Is that your price isn't competitive? Or is it that the quality of your products? Are there, you know, a ton of defects in your products? And so that's something that we talk to the buyers that use Sourceify and, and really try to analyze what's the best approach and step forward. 
And then for pricing for merchants, like or for people who are you know on the the designer the, the sales side of things, not the factories, how does that work? Do you pay this like a monthly fee? Do you pay as a percentage of the the production runs? How does that work? Yeah, the factories basically pay us a percent of the production volume that they're doing through Sourceify. So we don't you know charge companies; we make money from our partner factories. Okay, very cool. And if somebody's starting starting with a brand new product, you mentioned like seven figure sellers are probably you know your bread and butter, best fit. Is it? If someone's going to start from scratch with a, a brand new product, is it Sourcefy a good fit for them or is it really more for more established sellers? It could be either. I mean, we work with big enterprise companies that are doing upwards of 300 million in sales and do a few, you know, SKUs for them. And then for other companies, a lot of it is just stemming from price visibility. You know, they've been working with one supplier for the past five years and want to see, okay, am I actually getting competitive rates? on these products that I've been producing for a while. Cause you know, a lot of times too, if you're single sourced, let's say something happens to that source, then you're going to be out of inventory for three months. I mean, there's a lot of risk that companies overlook in their supply chain. Yeah. I want to kind of dive into something you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you work with factories in China in, you know, Vietnam, a bunch of different countries. And I'm going to ask you a kind of stereotype here, which is maybe a terrible way to start a question, but why, if you had to to really just speak to those countries and their manufacturing abilities, why somebody would pick China versus Vietnam versus Cambodia, and maybe the the five, you know, maybe you can just talk about the five most common popular places to manufacture in Asia. What you know, where, where you know, what what drives those decisions at a high level? What competitive advantages and disadvantages do kind of maybe those top four or five countries have over one another? Totally. I mean, I would say number one, the first thing that companies look at in their supply chain is price. You know, the products have to be competitive. At the end of the day, e-commerce, I think, besides your brand is a numbers game. And so if you look in China, really price right now stems from labor rates for a lot of these products and really the infrastructure. The infrastructure in China is is incredible. You know, number one, there are so many fabric manufacturers or raw material manufacturers around China where it's very easy to actually get the raw material to produce your product to your assembly factory. And it's, it's you know, the transportation costs are not high. Number two, it actually stems from the freight. You know, if you're shipping dozens of containers a month from Guangzhou to Long Beach or wherever it may be, you know, your freight rates are actually probably going to be more affordable because it's more of a popular line. But let's, let's, let's say you move production to the Philippines and you're doing FOB Manila. Well, now let's say your factory's in the south in, in Zambanga or something. And now you have transportation costs for the raw material to get down to your assembly factory. And then you have transportation costs from your, for your actual finished product to get to that FOB destination. And then, you know, freight rates from Manila to Long Beach or wherever your, you know, warehouse is will you know probably be very different than more competitive freight line a more popular freight line so you know really a lot of it stems from infrastructure and also raw material i think a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs actually overlook how their unit costs come about and really all of it stems from raw material you know you look at a good example is watches you know what goes into producing a watch it's your watch case your watch straps you know your watch hands there's so many little components and most of the time you know, you're dealing with the assembly factory and all of those little components are produced at specific component factories that your assembly factory has a good relationship with. So maybe making some assumptions here, I'm guessing China's going to be have the best infrastructure. They probably have the most raw goods just given the size of the market. I'm guessing their labor is probably a little more expensive than some of the other places. So is it, is it fair to say that China would be, you know, if the components or the transportation element is a huge part of the cost, China is going to be a better bet 
bet. But if labor, if you if you're building a product where labor is going to be the biggest component of the cost and cost of that product, maybe a place like Vietnam or the Philippines would be a better bet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can speak on the Philippines specifically, just top of mind. You know, I was there three weeks ago, and the labor rate in the Philippines right now is about, on average, one third of what the labor rate in China is for factory workers. And so, if labor is really a big cost to make up your product, then chances are you might be able to have a more affordable unit cost in the Philippines or Vietnam. And even you know, on my flight back when I was flying from Manila back to Guangzhou three weeks ago, you know, I was sitting next to a factory boss. Uh, from China, who had just opened up another factory outside of Manila because the labor rates were much more affordable. What are the top five? It doesn't have exact five, but maybe just you know, off the top of your head, the five biggest manufacturing companies in Asia or countries rather in Asia. I mean, in terms of export volume, you know, definitely China number one. I would then probably say India or Vietnam at number two, and then probably Cambodia or the Philippines at number you know three, four, five. Man, it's obvious you know a ton about this. It's cool to pick your brain on it all. Before we wrap things up, are you up for doing a, a quick lightning round? Yeah, would love to. Awesome. And feel free to just shoot out you know, fast answers per the name. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? That's a great question. I would say top of mind, vertical integration. You know, At Sourceify, we've you know, been transitioning from more of a platform to actually potentially going out and making joint ventures or opening up our own factories around the world to enable companies to completely control their supply chain and have complete visibility into their production. So top of mind recently is definitely considering, you know, does actually owning and operating our own factories around the world make sense? What are you currently spending too much money on? Good question. Probably rent. Rent in San Diego is really going up a lot. <laughs> so you had a pretty sweet place though. What's something you're not spending enough money on? I would say fun. I've always wanted to buy a boat. So maybe I'll try to get a boat at some point. Nice. Hey, maybe those two are interconnected there, man. Ditch yeah. the apartment, just live on the boat. Jimmy Boat lifestyle. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> what's, one, what's something on your bucket list? One of the top three things on your bucket list, something you'd like to do before you die? Ski Japan. I actually just booked tickets last week to go in January to go skiing in Niseko in Japan. Nice. I've got a good friend who is going to be uber jealous when he hears that. That sounds amazing. If you had to identify the number one thing you're trying to optimize your life for right now, what would it be? Time. I mean, you know, time is the most valuable asset that we have and everyone has the same 24 hours in a day, but how do we make the most of it? Yeah. And then finally, what's your favorite city in Asia? Favorite city has to be Hong Kong. I just love how international it is. Very cool. This has been fun, man. And if you're, you're listening to this and, and you're either selling stuff and, and want to be able to streamline your operations with your with with factories or if you're looking for a great factory and a great platform for helping you manage that design iteration sampling and production run process check out nathan's company sourceify.com very cool tool and uh, obviously nathan nathan knows what he's talking about here so nathan thanks so much for coming on and sharing really appreciate it man thank you that's going to do it for this week but a few important things to know about especially if you're a store owner before you go First, if you're looking to hire for your e-commerce business, make sure to check out the e-commerce fuel job boards. We'll get your job in front of thousands of qualified job seekers to find you the perfect candidate. And if you're looking for work, you should check out the dozens of hand-picked opportunities along with lots of other roles that pop up every week at ecommercefuel.com forward slash jobs. And if you're an established store owner, you absolutely should be a member of our private community for seven-figure plus store owners. You get access to a discussion forum with over a thousand vetted, experienced e-commerce entrepreneurs, invitations to our in-person member-only events, and access to our private review directory with over 5,000 software and service provider reviews. 
That sounds interesting. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And a big, big thank you to the two sponsors who make this show possible. First, to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. If you're not using them for your store, you're leaving money on the table. You can get started for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. And then secondly, to Liquid Web, the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store anywhere online. If you want a rock solid store that can scale with you when you need it to, check them out at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web. Thanks so much for listening and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you.